Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. Thank God for the worship team. Say yeah, 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 yeah. Say yeah, 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 yeah. I'm done. That's all I got this Christmas. Amen. Sing for Jesus. Amen. I'll do it if y'all back me up good. It's good to be in the house of God, worshiping Jesus on a beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. How many know our God is good? Just real good. And his mercy endureth forever. I am certainly delighted to be around the people of God, uh, worshiping the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Look at somebody and just say, I'm happy to see you this morning. Happy to be worshiping with you this morning. Let me express an early Merry Christmas to everybody that is here. I'm certainly in the Christmas spirit. Those of you who are online, uh, early Christmas, Merry Christmas to you as well. Uh, we are certainly in the Christmas spirit here at the church. I don't know if you can tell by the festive decorations, but also we had a great Christmas party on Friday. Uh, I saw some people turning up and doing karaoke that I just would have never expected to do it. Uh, the punch was over here, so I had to pour a little bit, check it to make sure nobody spiked it because people was turned up. Uh, but it was, it, was a good, it was a good time of being able to just kind of let loose and, and have some fellowship and have some fun in a safe way. We still in a pandemic, uh, but in a safe way, be able to connect with people and shout out to the events team and those of you who came together. Amen. Lady Ayo, I don't know if she's here and and Janelle was uh, very instrumental. And, and then our two hosts, uh, Valerie and Brittany, were just they kept the party going from the beginning all the way to the end and just had photo booth and. Uh, and food, and it was it was Rasta pasta and Jamaican food. It's, we don't we don't play games here with the food. We do good food if we're gonna feed you. Um, but I'm just I'm grateful for everybody that put their hand in the plow. I'm excited about the Word of God today. A little Christmas sermon. If you can grab your Bibles and get to the first book of the New Testament, uh, somebody say the book of Matthew. First book of the New Testament is where we're gonna hang out. Just a quick reminder. Gabe said it, but I want to remind you that. Uh, we will only be doing one service next week, and so if you come here at 9.30, uh, we will not, will not be here. Well, we'll be here. We'll be preparing for our 10.30 service, and so 10.30 is our service. We try to get in the middle of 9.30 and 11.30, and so we pick 10.30, uh, but please, if you could be here for our one service next week, that'd be good, and if not, we will have live stream available for those of you who are watching online. Uh, just a quick update as you turn to Matthew chapter 1 on the building. We are continuing to move forward. Uh, we just met with our, um, our architects and uh, we already submitted the filing for demolition and renovations and things are moving along. We've just got reassured that we're probably on more of a five-month track uh, from now to be downstairs. And so for, for now, we'll just continue to meet up here. I'm excited that we are removing registration uh, starting in January, the first Sunday in January. And so whatever service you decide to come to, you can just show up. You can just come into the building. Uh, we still are requiring masks and still requiring everybody to be safe, but we'll test it out and see how it is uh, removing the registration. Uh, 
All right, let's get to it. Uh, I just want to give you all a quick, <laughs> just a quick um, warning that if you look at Matthew chapter one, you'll notice there's just a bunch of names. It's a genealogy. Um, but I believe that uh, I believe that God can use it. He uses all things. The genealogies are just as uh, God breathed as the rest of Scripture. Sometimes we move over that stuff. I think Pastor Timmy talked about that last week. Sometimes we move too fast past the genealogies, but there's something in it that I think God can use. All right. Uh, I'm going to just go into it. Uh, verse one. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah and by Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of uh, Aminadad, and Aminadad was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of of, of Salmon. By the way, let me just put a quick pause there. If this was the fish, the, the L is silent. I just want to, because some people like Salmon, it's Salmon, okay? I don't trust people that put the L in the Salmon. It's Salmon. Uh, but for the sake of a name, we'll just leave it as Salmon. Verse 5, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father, you know this name, of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Please underline that. That's important. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asaph. And Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. And Joram was the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah was the father of Jotham. And Jotham was the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manassas, and Manassas was the father of Amos, and Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12, and after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatil, and Sheatil was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud, and Abiud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim was the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok was the father of uh, Achim, and Achim was the father of uh, El, uh, Eli, uh, Eliad, and Eliad was the father of El Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Matin, and Matin was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, and here we go, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. Please underline that. And from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. Underline that. And from the deportation to, uh, to, uh, to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Underline that as well. Jump down real quick to verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. I just want to make note that I handled those names like a grown man. Just want to make note of that real quick. Y'all know we skip over those names, but if you say them real fast and real confident, doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It just sounds right. Uh, I want to preach today from the topic entitled Family Drama on Christmas. Family Drama on Christmas. How many know y'all got some family drama on Christmas? 
Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, this morning we are so grateful for Jesus. I know this is a cliche, but Jesus, it really is the reason for the season. And so, Father, as we dig into this text, full of names, and just sometimes this stuff just doesn't make sense. And so, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would help us to dig into this Christmas story and see Jesus. Would you be kind to meet us? You meet us every week. And so, Father, we ask that you meet us, but don't just show up, but penetrate our hearts. May Jesus be heard and felt and seen today. And may we walk out of the doors today better than we came in because we heard about Jesus, a savior, a king, someone who loves us and cares for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many people have a family tree that you've seen like in your family? You have a family tree. Just by show of hands, I see just a few hands, a couple of hands. Not, that's not... The whole room, I see a few people, worship team, a couple people got family, family trees. You know, I recently read a report from Ancestry.com that polled 2,000 people. And these 2,000 people were statistical representatives of an overall population uh, of the country. And they asked them one question, can you name the first and last name of all four of your grandparents, your biological grandparents? And you'd be surprised that, according to Ancestry.com, one-third of Americans were not able to successfully name all four of their grandparents. Now, I just want you to go ahead and take inventory of your grandparents. Do you know all four of your grandparents? And let me go a step further. Do you know all four of their grandparents? And going back and, and back and back, and the reality is most of us don't. You know, it's interesting when you look, when I looked at this report, it showed that some people that were able to name all four of their grandparents, both sets, they only were able to name them based on nicknames, Gramps and, you know, Papa, and, and we call my, uh, my mother-in-law, my boys call her Kuma, they, you know, try to get a little cool there, Kuma, you know, if you look at the Smiths, they call their grandmother Gammy. You know, there's nicknames. And so some people on Ancestry.com was like, yeah, I can name my grandparents, but they only were able to name the nicknames. To confuse matters and make matters worse, there were some that were able to name all four, but when you dug deep enough, you found out that they weren't actual biological grandparents. They were step-grandparents. And then you said, okay, well, what's your actual grandparents' names and to my surprise, they didn't know. And this, this, this observation of this data really, really pointed me to one or two things. What one is, you and I in this room are, are one, or two, one or two generations from completely being forgotten. Like, just sit on that for a second. Your, your family will forget about your name within the next two generations unless it's preserved somewhere. Like, think about that for a second. I know you think you, you know, you're killing it right now and you know, you, you, you think you are the cream of the crop, but one or two generations from now, if the Lord doesn't tarry, if the Lord doesn't come back, we might be forgotten. But this also led me down this idea of the importance of a family tree. Those of you who raised your hands, you are blessed. You are privileged. And I would say to everybody else, go down this journey of trying to find out your family history. I was listening to my wife. Uh, she was, I was over listening over here in a call that she was on with her aunt that wrote a book about her family. And she, she I mean, she did all of this research and went to churches and got birth certificates and, and she got marriage certificates. And she just was trying to piece all of the family together. 
And there's something beautiful about that because what I found out about our history as families, most of us only know our parents. The reason they were able to name nicknames is because we get our traditions and our history from an oral tradition. Someone told somebody else and then they told someone else. And, but, but a few generations from that, you can get lost. And so it's so important to preserve a family history. And we come to a passage where Matthew is doing exactly that. Matthew and the genealogy of writing all of these names. I know for us, it's like, well, you're just going through a bunch of stuff. He is preserving history. He is preserving a family tree. And he's giving us in this text a snapshot picture of how we get from David or from Abraham all the way to Jesus. How do we get from Abraham first walking the earth back in Genesis 12 all the way to the Christ? And you'll notice that Matthew is drastically different in how he writes the Christmas story than the other Gospels. When Matthew picks up the pen to write the Christmas story, he starts with Jesus' earthly family. But if you go to John, and I encourage you to do that before Christmas, between now and Saturday, I encourage you to read John's account of the Christmas story. He doesn't start with the earthly family of Jesus. He goes all the way back to the beginning, before time. He goes back to Genesis One, let me give you an example of that. John, if you read John's gospel and you read John's account of the Christmas story, he doesn't talk about a manger. He doesn't talk about a baby. He's not talking about wise men. He goes all the way back. He says stuff like in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as from the father, full of grace and truth. Matthew might start with Abraham, but John starts with who created Abraham. Does that make sense? John goes back to the deity of Christ, but Matthew starts with the humanity of Jesus. And can I say to you, lean in here, both are important. You, 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 this is why I love that the Gospels are not exact copies of each person's account, but they all think a little bit differently. And so from John, you get to pull in the divinity of Christ. And from Matthew, you get to pull in the humanity of Christ. It's called the hypostatic union. Somebody say hypostatic union. This idea that the baby in the manger is fully God and is fully man. Matthew says that, yes, he's fully God. He's the one that the baby in the manger is the one that created air. But Matthew says he's also the one that breathes air. John will say that this is the one that created food. Well, Matthew will say this is the one that ate food. John will say that this is the one that created the concept of sleep. But Matthew says this is the one that actually took a nap. This big, massive God that we can't comprehend, that created all things. I love the way Colossians was saying, all things were created for him and through him. This is the one that created the galaxy, but he, he became intimate enough, as John will say, to dwell among us. How does he dwell among us? He wraps himself up in flesh and he's born in a manger. And so Matthew says, I can prove that the one that created all things is actually a human. Here's how I can do that. Let me trace out his family. Let me show you a lineage and he takes us on a trip in the past. And when he takes us on a trip in the past, you would think that the people that are born into the family of not just royalty, but Jesus line, Jesus bloodline, earthly bloodline, you would think that they had it all together. 
When you read the story and the people that are named here, you would think that they were all people of noble birth and people that were wealthy and people of prestige and people that did not sin and people that had it all together. But unfortunately, the opposite is true. These are people that were full of drama. These are people that were dysfunctional. These are people that might have been in the bloodline of the Savior, but these are people that needed saving. People that needed Jesus to do a work in their own life. And I'm shocked. I'm shocked. And you don't even have to get into the genealogy, into the names to see sinful people. Let's look at the writer. This is Matthew writing this. If you know Matthew's history, before Jesus entered into his life, he was a tax collector. Most will say tax collectors were the most hated people in town. They were Jews that earned the right to be able to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. But everybody knows that tax collecting was inherently corrupt. Inherently. It was it was theft. It was I mean, it was extremely evil. What they would do is Rome would require 20. They would take 30 pocket 10, give Rome 20. And everybody knew it and nobody could do anything about it. Not only that, they were collecting taxes for an evil, brutal army like Rome's army that would literally walk in your house and, and, and rape your wife and kill your children. And you now have to pay taxes to keep them funded. You have to pay taxes in order to, to, to keep them eating and supply weapons and to fund this army. And so Matthew, our boy Matthew, is hated before he meets Jesus. And he gets to write Josh about the Christmas story? Why does he get to write? Give me somebody that has it together. Give me somebody that is a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more character and integrity, but unfortunately, Matthew is just as sinful, but guess what he gets to write? And this is proof right here. If Matthew can write about the Christmas story, then you and I, whatever past you walked in here with, you got a shot to be able to be a part of the redemptive story of Jesus. How do I know? Because Matthew is writing about Jesus. Let me help you out. Some of you have a past. Shoot, some of you got a present. You walked in here right now and you, you, you're involved in something that nobody else knows about. And you've done things that you're not proud of. And you've said things that you're not proud of. You made decisions you're not proud of. You've gotten relationships you're not proud of. But God always, always, always delights in using messed up people and washing them and redeeming them. Others have counted you out. Others have said you are too far to be used by God. But guess what? If Matthew can be used to write the Christmas story, you and I got a shot. Can we thank God that he doesn't just use squeaky clean people, but people that got a past? So this tax collector gets to write about the Christmas story. And when he writes about the Christmas story, he gives us a bunch of names. Can I just highlight the first name? Because before we get into the dysfunction of the family, let's get into the beauty of the Savior, the book of the genealogy. Look at verse one of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I foolishly assume that everybody in the room knows who Jesus is. Sometimes I can foolishly think that everybody walked in and you have some working concept of who Jesus is and who Jesus is not. But I've learned living in the Western world, sometimes we understand Jesus based on the Jesus that is presented to us by America. But let me point you to a biblical Jesus. You might have heard some stuff about him. You might have gathered some facts about him. I love the way Pastor Timmy said it last week. Do you know Jesus like he knew Jay-Z? Where he saw him at a party. And my, my question to you is, do you know the biblical Jesus? Can I just take a second to introduce you before we get into the names? And I won't be long. Can I take a second to introduce you to Jesus of the Bible? 
This, this is Jesus. Matthew 1 gives us a list. But if you get to Matthew 2, the Bible says the stars stood still at his birth. Can you imagine that? The stars, the, 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 the way astronomers or scientists will call this is a momentary rare alignment in the planets. It's not a momentary rare alignment. The stars knew that the one who created them just wrapped himself in flesh and they bowed down. The stars bowed down to worship Jesus. This is the Jesus that all of the scriptures pointed to. We were in John 5 last week, but John 5 says that you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the very scriptures that bear witness about me. Jesus says that all of the word of God bears witness about him. I want to introduce you to this Jesus that Moses wrote about. Jesus says Isaiah wrote about me. David wrote about me. He says that Ezekiel wrote about me, Haggai, Obadiah, Paul, uh, uh, John, Jude, Matthew, Mark, all of them wrote about your boy. This is the Jesus that fulfills scripture. And here's why when you're reading this week and you're reading about the Christmas story, please don't get stuck at Mary. When you're reading the Christmas story, please, please don't get stuck at the wise men. You got to get to Jesus. You got to get to the one that's in the manger because Jesus says all scripture bears witness about me. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Let's continue to think about this Jesus, the one who sat in the middle of a storm with lightning and chaos all around him and the waves crashing and the winds blowing. And you would think that he would be scared, but this is the Jesus that's, that calms a storm. Watch this with three words. Peace be stills. The, the wind stops blowing. The waves immediately come. And like, can you imagine this moment? We read this stuff and move over it. But this is the Jesus that knows how to calm storms with three words. This is the Jesus that looked inside of a tomb and saw Lazarus inside. And, and he showed that he has power even over death and says, Lazarus, come forth. This is that Jesus that Matthew was pointing us to. This is the Jesus that looked down from heaven. I don't know if you're getting who this Jesus is yet, but I'm going to keep going until you get it. This is the Jesus that looked down from the balcony of heaven and saw me in my sin and decided not to beat me up or condemn me, but wrap himself in flesh to die for my sins. It's that Jesus we're talking about. The Jesus that defeated sin and defeated the grave and beat the grave like it stole something from him. This is the Jesus, uh, the one that the Bible says will come back for me. You know that story in Revelation 19 where the Bible says that Jesus will be riding on a white horse and he'll have on a white robe and his robe will be dipped in blood and his eyes will be like fire and his tongue will turn into a sword and there'll be a myriad and myriad of angels. and He's coming back to wreck shop and to collect us. That is the Jesus of the Bible that I'm talking about. That all of the angels in heaven right now are taking off their crowns and they are laying them before the feet of our king. So Matthew says, look, the, the baby in the manger just ain't anybody. That, that baby in the manger, in, in, in the, 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 the white Jesus with the, with the product in his hair and the blue eyes, that's not the Jesus I'm talking about. This is the biblical Jesus of the scriptures. The suffering servant is now a conquering king. The Bible says, look, I'm, I'm going to give you these names, but you got to first know who these names are all pointing us to. They're pointing us to Jesus. Now, what he's going to do is he, he's going to go through all these names and he does something interesting in verse 17. We're not going to be long. Verse 17, he does something interesting. He really repeats himself. And I ask you to underline it three times. And he talks about 
three sections of names that are all, he could have just given us a list, but he breaks them up in three different sections. And in the three sections, what he's doing is he's pointing us to a deeper meaning that probably ran over most of our heads. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were, watch this, 14 generations. And then from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. He breaks the names up based on 14 generations apart. Verses 2 to 6, he gives us 14 generations from Abraham to David. And then verses 6 to 11, he gives us 14 generations from David to the deportation and to exile. And then from there, he gives us 14 generations from the deportation all the way to the Christ. And many people are like, well, why did you break it up like this? Of course, for memory's sake, sure. But for the ancient reader, they would have read this and knew exactly what he was doing. He is pointing us to the end of that next 14 generation, a king will be born. How do I know that? Because at the end of the first generation, a king was born. They are now at the end of the next 14 generation in deportation or in exile. And then in the last 14 generations, a king was born. Everybody in Israel would have read this and knew that the person he's talking about, watch this, is a king. But the kingdom that he has is not any earthly kingdom. He doesn't have a throne that you can be impeached or killed. His throne is not of this world. You can't, you didn't elect him and you can't, you can't take him off of his throne. And so what he does is he gives 14 generations, king, captivity, king. Somebody say king, captivity, king. Notice the movement of the scriptures. He's not just naming names. He's giving you the structure that is setting up for a king. And I love that he does this because... What he's showing us is that on Christmas and when we get to Christmas Day, this is not just anybody. This is not just somebody that died for your sins. This is a king that has a throne, that has jurisdiction. Jurisdiction where, Pastor B? Over your heart, over your life. If he's a king, do you actually follow his commands? If he's a king, do you actually submit to his rulership? If he's a king, does he actually have room in your heart to be fully Fully king, I love the next, uh, the next chapter where the Bible says that these wise men come. And when they see the baby in the manger, they bow down and worship him. Like, sit on that for a second. He ain't got no army. He ain't got no uh, 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 servants. He, he, he don't have an earthly kingdom. But these men came, these wise men came, and they knew that they were in the presence of Jesus. This is why I like Christmas music. I don't know if y'all like it. Mot- Motown Christmas is my favorite Uh, I also like Take Six Christmas, but there are some Christmas songs that all point us to the kingdom of Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to a newborn, what? To a newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of uh, the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to a newborn king. What about Little Drummer Boy? See, many of us hear Little Drummer Boy, nobody saying that like Michael Jackson. I'm just going to, I'll say that till the day I die. Nobody's saying that like Michael. But, but think about the words. Don't just think about the rhythm and the beat, but think about the actual words. Come they told me, barumpa bum bum. A newborn king is born, barumpa bum bum. Our finest gifts we bring, barumpa bump bump, to lay before the king. A king is born. What about, oh, 
Come all ye faithful. Y'all know that one? Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Oh, come, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him. Born a king of angels. The baby in the manger is a king. The baby in the manger needs jurisdiction over your heart. And so he says, Matthew says, I'm not just giving you names, but if you understand scripture, you understand that I'm showing you that the next 14 generations is going to be a king. And I love this king because we don't need another 14 generations after him. He's a king that did what no other king could do. Most kings would require the servant to die for him. But this king says, no, I'm going to die for my servants. Anybody thank God that you have a king that is gracious enough to die for you? Steps off of his throne. He is being worshipped to dwell amongst people that he created. To be slapped with a hand that he created. To get on a piece of wood that he created. To be nailed with nails that he created. To go into a tomb that he created. This is the type of king you and I serve. And so don't ever just think Christmas is just some cute little baby in the manger. No, that baby is a king and the one that I submit my full life to. But even though a king was born, watch this. There's skeletons in the closet. The royal family got some secrets. The royal family ain't squeaky clean. I love the way Martin Luther summarizes this passage. I'm almost done. The, 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 uh, Martin Luther says, Christ is the kind of king who's not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he puts them in the family tree. Matthew highlights the skeletons in the royal closet. He highlights the family drama. Can I just go through a few names? Not all of them, but just a few names that had a little bit of drama attached to them. How many know about David? David's listed in verse number six. This is a man, Colin, that literally slept with somebody else's wife, had him killed, and then lied to cover it up. But guess what? He got written into the Christmas story this morning. He got put into the family of God. What about verse three? Verse three talks about Tamar. Do you remember her story in Genesis chapter 38? If you don't, that's homework. Go read Tamar's story. Tamar actually enters into the family because she disguised herself as a prostitute, slept with her father-in-law, Judah, in order to be pregnant to get into the family of royalty. And guess what? Her story gets written into the family of Christ. What about Rahab? See, Tamar had to disguise herself as a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Bible says in Jericho, she was on the corner and she was selling her body. But guess what? A prostitute gets written into the Christmas story. What about Ruth? Now, she didn't have any sexual scandals attached to her, but many people know that she comes from a family that does the Moabite people. The Moabite Moabite people uh, had sprung up from incest between Lot and his oldest daughter. Ruth's people were polytheistic pagans. They they had they believed in uh, human sacrifices. And and so when you understand that she gets written into the story, this is a person that's unlikely to be in the family of Jesus. So, So in this list is prostitutes, liars, thieves, mistresses. All get in the family of Christ. Let me read the room real quick. And I don't know if I'm right on this, but my assumption is that in this room, there are people that have baggage. I don't have to be a prophet to know that. There are people that have lied. 
There are people that have not held up with character. There are people in the room that has not always had integrity. And I'm not talking about the people in the seats. I'm talking about the people behind the camera, the people in the sound booth, the worship team, the band. Uh Oh, the person preaching. Every one of us in this room are unlikely candidates to be written into the Christmas story. But here's what I don't care about. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what baggage you have. I don't care what you did. You can be written to the story of Christ today. Oh, I thought you'd be a little bit more excited about that. That God is able to take all that you did and redeem it. God is able to take all that you did and wash it whiter than snow. That God is able to bring you into the family of Jesus Christ. And that right there gives me hope. And I read this earlier this week. I rejoice. Every name I got, I was like, ooh, somebody else that is dysfunctional. I'm not the only one. That means I have access to Christ just like they did. I would have read this and nobody would have had issues, but they all do. Sis, you can be written into the story today. Like, bruh, he actually is a Christ that knows how to redeem it and put you into the family. Romans chapter five, verse eight says it this way. But God chose his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get it together. He wrote you in the story when you still had mess on you. Oh, some of you walked in and you still got mess right now. And guess what? He didn't take you out of the family. He didn't pull you out of the story, but he maintained you in the story because he knows how to redeem you. It's sanctification. It's, It's spiritual growth. And on the journey of spiritual growth, you will fall. But guess what? You don't get out of the family. He doesn't disown you because you fail. How do how do I know? Because look who's in the story. David is in the family. Rahab is in the family. Tamar is in the family. Ruth is in the family. And surely you ain't got to go too far to see messy people. There are people in this room that are messy. You know, when I, when I, was, when I was reading about Rahab, I, I actually thought it would have given her name with a little disqualifier about her. I, I thought it would have given her name and maybe a description at least. You know, it would have told me a little bit. It sh- I thought it would have read Rahab the prostitute. Because when she's introduced in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, it introduces her as Rahab the prostitute. But because Jesus redeemed her, when he writes her name in the story, she's not any longer called the prostitute. She is now just called Rahab, meaning I don't care what you did, God can wash it clean. You are not what you did. I feel somebody gaining some encouragement this morning. I feel somebody shaking off that past. I feel somebody getting rid of that, 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 that shame and, and that, 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 that embarrassment. God is able to remove past all of that. When he writes you in the family, he don't write you in with a disqualifier. He writes you in and he just puts your name. Well, Pastor B, how do you know? Verse 21 is how I know. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Here's how. For he will save his people from their sins. Ah, did you read that? He saves us from the shame. He saves us from the dysfunction. He saves us from what we, he saves us from the scandals. He brings life to our dead situation. Doesn't matter what you did, the Messiah covers you today. Doesn't matter what you walked in here with, does it, he, he actually wants you today. You know, sometimes we can make people feel so far from God. 
you know, the friends in your life. Or let's just do it this way. Sometimes we may not verbalize it, but how many of us have that one friend? We like, God, that's a lot of work. Y'all got, how about a family member? You're like, God, you never could save them. They are all the way out there. If I read David is in the family, ain't nobody too far for God. Because what you're saying when you're saying somebody's too far for God is you're saying that the cross is not powerful enough. You're saying that their sin is stronger than the cross. You're saying that what they did is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's not more powerful. And here's what I love. If Jesus, the Bible says, saves us from our sin, how many know that we can't save ourselves from our sin? It means you can't earn it. You, you, you can't play this good outweighs the bad uh, weight system. Uh, unfortunately, God has to deal with the bad, and so therefore we need redemption that is only found in Jesus. But Jesus' earthly family shows us the power of redemption if you're taking notes, please take that down. I just, Jesus, earthly family shows us the power of redemption. Yolanda, I'm told of the story of a youth pastor. He's very young in, in, in the ministry, and he preached a sermon in front of a youth group, and he wanted to express to them it was a sermon on abstinence. And he wanted to really push this idea of don't, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have that, that's, that was his one thesis, that was his theme. And so he pulls out this beautiful painting and he puts up the painting on this beautiful painting on this canvas. And he asks everybody to look at it. And everybody's like, oh, it's like it, it looks expensive. And the whole sermon, every time he talks about sex, he grabs a hammer and some nails and he slaps it into the painting. And by the end of the sermon, because he kept talking about it over and over again, the painting was full of nails. But he was like, God, God can still redeem it. And he starts to pull out the nails. But here's where he went left. After he pulled out the nails, he said, this is a beautiful painting. At least it started out that way. But even though your sexual past has been redeemed, you still got scars. And so he started to point to all of the holes. And his last statement was, who would want this painting? But when I read about Jesus' family, I realize Jesus is going, I want the painting. Because what I do is I make a mess that looks like a, a, a hose all in it and I take it and I make it a masterpiece. And that's what you are. The Bible says that he takes you and presents you as holy, as blameless, as spotless. You spotless. You holy. You blameless. I can be blamed for stuff this morning. But the Savior that I serve, the King that I serve, redeems all things. That bad decision has been put under the cross, that that sexual promiscu uh, promiscuity has been put under the foot of the cross, that thing that you didn't tell nobody about has been put under the foot of cross, and this ain't a license to go out and do whatever you want, go, oh, Pastor B says under the cross, but this is a sermon that lets you know you don't have to walk in shame because David's in the story. You, you don't have to walk in fear because Rahab's in the story. You can be written in today, and here's what I love about, about Jesus. He always gives us another chapter of our life. I went and saw Spider-Man with my boys. I'm, I'm closing. You can play something. I, I went and saw Spider-Man yesterday with my boys. It was, it was a great movie. They, they, were, they were, I mean, they, they, my, my sons walked out and said, this is the best movie of all times, the GOAT. And I'm like, really? You got to live a little longer. But it was a great movie. You can tell Marvel, don't, they, don't, they don't cut corners on their budget. And at the end of the movie, they did, we, we did what everybody knows to do when you go to a Marvel movie. 
You stay, because you know after them credits roll, there's another story. There's another trailer. There's another scene. And some of you came in right now and you think that the credits of your life have been rolling. But I can tell you, there's another scene. Look at somebody and say, there's just another story. And here's the other story. You get written into the family of God. Every head bow. We certainly could have just talked about the wise men, but they needed saving. We could have talked about Mary, but she needed saving. We could have talked about Joseph, but he needed saving. How about we talk about the Savior and how he doesn't just pick people that all of us think he should pick. I'm exhibit A that he picks people, the worst people. I'm the person that should be sitting down. There's no reason I should be preaching. But he likes to choose people that are unworthy, the most unlikely candidate to continue the mission of God. And that's your story today. That, that's your story. You walked in today feeling depressed, feeling heavy. I felt heavy when I came in, but I feel better now because I understand, understand that I get written in the story. Father, I pray for somebody today. I was going to do an altar call, but Lord, I, all of us at some point have walked in some type of shame. Father, I thank you for being the kind of king that goes to the highways and the hedges and picks the ones that nobody else would pick. Chooses people that nobody else would choose. And then you get us in and you don't treat us like extended family. You get us in and don't treat us like servants. You say stuff like, I call you friend. God, I thank you. I wouldn't serve another king. Because any other king is under you because you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Father, as we move through this Christmas season... We thank you for the greatest gift. It doesn't matter what gifts we get on Saturday. The greatest gift is the gift of salvation. The gift of being written into the story. The gift that you didn't overlook our sin, but you dealt with it on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And so, Father, I thank you. May we live our lives for you because you died for us and you did so willingly. What a king we serve that would die for our sins. And so, Father, may this Christmas be different. May, may something be different about it. May this Christmas be the Christmas that we don't deal with shame and embarrassment, but we can come boldly before your throne and find grace and mercy in the time of need, and the time of need is now. Thank you for redeeming our family drama.